Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. Welcome back, dear friends, to another episode of the Shema Podcast. I want to tackle a big topic. I want to tackle the idea that we must fear Hashem before we can even begin to truly love Hashem. We got to explore what that means. I know when I was participating in Rabbi Yochal Fulby's class at the Reform Synagogue many, many years ago, this idea of fearing Hashem makes people very uneasy. They just want to avoid that idea. I mean, to contemplate an all-powerful creator that can do anything at any time, it's a bit disturbing. It's debilitating to be in a state of fear. But I think that is missing the point. And it's something that we need to explore because the reality is that fearing God is a prerequisite in order to love God. And we're going to explore this in depth so it makes more sense. But keep in mind that the entire purpose of creation was to bring us to Alamaba, an environment where we live in eternity with our Creator and we've forged ourselves into entities that can stand in his presence in a much higher level revelation and not feel ashamed. So everything he's doing is for that end goal. So when we think of fearing Hashem, we can use the tool sets that he provided us. He provided us the Torah, but he also gave us a construct in this world that is nothing but metaphors for us to understand our relationship with him. We have the, as we've discussed before, the relationship between a child and their parent. We are the relationship between a parent and a child. And we also have the relationship between spouses. I think we begin to understand what this means is fearing God and why it's so essential by looking at the dynamic of all these relationships. You know, my little girl was a a toddler. She loved to jump on her bed, and I encouraged it. I would watch her jumping up and down and laughing and having so much fun. I remember one day thinking as I was in a room watching her jump up and down on her bed about how I was such an amazing dad. That's what I thought. Like, you know, my parents never let me jump on my bed. They would, I would get in so much trouble for doing such a thing. I mean, what harm is being done? Why would I take away her joy right now? I was really contemplating, like, man, I'm, I'm just a, such a better parent for allowing my daughter to enjoy something so fun as jumping up and down on the bed. And as I was contemplating this idea of how I was such an amazing dad, she jumps up and she begins to hurl headfirst into the corner of her dresser. And at that point, I stepped in and caught her, thank God. And she was not harmed. And I was horrified at what almost occurred. But she, she thought that was even better. 
I mean, to not only jump up and down the bed, but to go flying off and to be caught in your daddy's arms. I mean, she just wanted to do that again. And at that point, of course, I saw the consequences of jumping on the bed. And I said, no, no more jumping on the bed. We're not doing that anymore. And she said, okay. But then every night, I would walk upstairs to put her to bed, and I would hear her jumping up and down her bed, laughing, having so much fun, and I would step in and say, Elsie, remember, no more jumping on the bed. We're not going to do that anymore. And she would say, okay, Dad. So the next night, I go upstairs. Once again, I hear her laughing, saying, wee, and jumping up and down the bed, and I realize it's time for me to grow up. It's time for me to be a dad. And being a dad means sometimes you got to be stern if you really love your little girl. And I knew it was going to be tough on both of us, but I knew I had to do it because in her two to three-year-old mind, she could not grasp and conceptualize the consequence of her action if she had hit her head on the corner of that dresser. But I could see that. So I sat outside her bedroom and I just worked on getting myself in a state of creating this persona of stern dad with a stern voice so that she would have a sense of fear of me because she didn't fear banging her head on a dresser. She could not understand that. She couldn't even comprehend the pain she would feel if that had happened. It was beyond her intellectual capacity at that age. But I could get her to understand that she should fear me when I say no. And it took a long time for me to get in that state because every time I heard her laugh, it made me laugh. But finally, I worked on it, got into my persona, my, like an actor getting into his role of a character. I got into my persona of stern dad and I walked into a room and I said, Elsie, I told you, no jumping on the bed. And she had never seen that. Before she never heard my stern voice, and she immediately started to cry and ran over and gave me a hug and apologized. And it was hard. It was hard on both of us. I didn't want to be afraid of me, but I wanted to protect her. But because I did that, it finally stopped it. She was afraid of me using that loud, stern voice. But again, that was not the actual consequence that could occur if she jumped on her bed. And so that is the way Hashem is interacting with us. You know, he talks about in the Torah that he got angry or he will get angry if we do something. It's the same thing. It's a loving parent trying to guide us in the right direction when us in our toddler capacity don't understand the consequences when we do certain things. We're blinded to the spiritual reality of the world we live in. We cannot comprehend the various things we do in the negative consequences that will result. You know, there's an idea that I picked up in Rabbi Kiva Tat's book, Living Inspired. It was very insightful. And it's around this whole idea that when Adam ate from the tree of good and bad and obscured the two within himself, one of the things that happened in our world is that time became bit. And here's what I mean by that. It talks in the beginning for Adam, and also we read this. It's in the Talmud regarding a baby in utero. And because the Torah is paralleling these two things, the story of the Jewish people and the story of our lives, 
as when we were in utero, it was like Adam before the sin in Gan Eden. And Adam and a baby in utero could see from one end of the world to the other. And they know all of Torah. I think this idea helps us understand really what Torah is. Because was it that Adam could see all the events that would play out if he ate from that tree and the shame he would feel and all the other actions he took that led to the people that existed during the times of Noah that were committing such sins that he brought them into being through his time of separation with Eve and his time with Lil? I would say no. I would say he would. He was not... This is my idea, but I don't think he actually saw those events unfolding. You know, the the Torah is the blueprint for creation, but that framework as it comes and and unfolds itself over time and in space, the way it manifests itself in the different actors and players and the way it unfolds based off all their free will choices cause a series of a chain of events. Things could have played out differently. Yosef or Joseph's brothers could have not put him in the pit and sold him off to the Ishmaelites. But the prophecy that Hashem gave to Avraham that his children would be sent into exile in Egypt, that still would have played out, but they would have played out differently. We see all these different free will choices, but it doesn't take away from the end game plan playing out. The blueprint of creation does not change. It's just the the actors and our role in it are what can change. As we sit here now in the year 2023, through our free will choices, we'll dictate how our storyline plays out in the Torah. But when we talked about seeing from one end of the universe to the other, it was this idea that Rabbi Tatz brings out about time being bent, meaning we can't see now the consequence of our actions. Adam could. Many commentaries say that he was able to calculate and look, if he ate from that, that tree, what the outcome would be. He could see the pathway of not eating from it and reaching Alamaba in six hours. And he was able to see the outcome of Alamaba through a 6,000 year process and see that the one with the 6,000 year process, because it was so much more difficult, it made Alamaba so much richer. And he chose the path that brought greater reward, although greater risk. And so while maybe he wasn't seeing exactly how that would play out in his own affairs, he could clearly see all the way to the finish line. Like someone in a race, they're in a 100-yard dash. They can always see by looking over their shoulder where they started, and they always see exactly where they're going to. Versus a long-distance cross-country run, and they're constantly taking turns here and turns there. They don't see anymore where they started from. And the only way they know which way to go, where the finish line is, is by looking at the signs posted saying, turn right here, turn left here. And that is what the Torah is, is giving us guides on how to navigate a world when we cannot see around the corner. We cannot see the consequence of our actions. If we could, there would be no room for the Yetzirah. We would clearly see, I commit this sin, that happens, I don't want to do that. So I want to do this mitzvah instead, and I see the end consequence. And that is why we are always commanded, as Rabbi Tatz brings out, to remember the Exodus. Remember Mount Sinai. Remember the starting point of our journey. 
and stay focused on the end goal, the destination, Olamaba. It's interesting too, he brings out that the word Yisrael actually spells the straight one of Hashem. The Yud, Shin, Resh spell straight. And the Aleph and Lamed is a name for God. And also the other thing that we are referred to in our Siddur is Yeshurun. And again, you have the, the three-letter word for straight. Yud, Shin, Resh, the letter Nun. And what does that letter represent? The 50th level. The 50th level of revelation. Once again, the Jewish people are on a straight path to Hashem and straight path to the 50th level, Alamaba. And how do we get there? Through the roadmap of the Torah. So when you look at some of the things, the decisions we have, the choices we make, we have things like kosher. Now, I've had hamburgers at a non-kosher restaurant, and I've had hamburgers at a kosher restaurant. Now, we'll leave out the cheeseburger with this analogy because you go to a kosher restaurant, you get the non-dairy cheese. Come on. You're not fooling my taste buds. It's not cheese. But you just get a non-cheeseburger. I've had them at a non-kosher restaurant and a kosher restaurant. And guess what? I didn't notice any difference whatsoever. Not in the way they tasted, not in the way I felt afterwards. The only difference I saw was the pain of getting the bill with the kosher restaurant hamburger because it was four to five times as much money. But I don't see the difference. I don't see the impact it's having on me spiritually. This idea that will harden your heart, that will impact your spiritual sensitivity, your ability to comprehend Torah. And maybe it has. Maybe it has, since I've taken on the kosher diet, improved me considerably in this area. But if someone was just beginning and they were to... They were not eating kosher, and all of a sudden they eat a kosher hamburger. It's not like they were going to have some great revelation and understand Torah and have some deep insights. It's a long path of cleaning out your system, I would assume, in order to receive those benefits. But Hashem talks sternly with us for this reason, not to eat non-kosher food. It will sever you from the Jewish people. The same with not keeping Shabbos. It will sever you from the Jewish people. I've lived in a world where, where Sunday through Saturday were all very similar to each other. I did the same things. Maybe I have to go in the office, but I was driving around, running errands. I didn't see a difference. He has to be stern. Before we can understand the consequences, just like my daughter could not understand the consequences of jumping off the bed and hitting her head on the corner of the dresser, he needs to be stern with us. Keep Shabbos. And of course, once you begin to keep Shabbos, you understand. Then you get it. How could you possibly go on throughout the week without recharging yourself to your source? Which, of course, takes place by desisting from any creative acts in order to reconnect with the true creator. But there's no contrast before you've been doing it. Or someone's been doing it their whole life. They wouldn't know what would be the big deal if I stopped keeping Shabbos or I stopped keeping kosher? And this is why it's just so necessary for Hashem that we have to fear Him. There's times when we need to know that there are going to be some short-term consequences created by Him to get us to adjust our behavior so we don't incur the long-term negative consequences of not doing what we need to do to be an entity that can exist in Ulamaba. 
But there's levels of this fear of Hashem. There's the fear of punishment, which is the lower level, which is good. Sometimes we're at a point where we just need to know, I will not do that because I fear the retribution. I don't want to get sick. I don't want something bad to happen. I don't want to lose money. Whatever he could incur is a short-term consequence to get me to adjust my behavior. I don't want to be punished. But the higher level of fear is just the fear of disappointing the one you love. You know, I think there we can take it to the analogy, the metaphor of our relationship with our spouse. I mean, the reason we do not cheat on our spouse, well, maybe, maybe it is lower level fear that she'll kill me in the middle of the night when I'm sleeping. Yeah, okay, probably so. But that's not the first thing that I think pops in our mind for us guys listening right now. It's the fear of hurting the one we love, of causing them pain, of failing them as their beloved. You know, and I think that's the higher level fear. We don't want to disappoint our creator that is so gracious and kind to us and does so much. When we look back on our life, like it's unbelievable the goodness he has provided to us. And, and that is nothing in comparison to the goodness he wants to give us so badly. So that is a higher level fear, but both those are necessary if we are going to, in fact, love Hashem. And I'm going to give you another example, something I see that really fits into this whole idea. You know, I spent a lot of my life mostly around secular Jews. Spent a lot of time in a Reformed synagogue. Not a lot of time, but I, I, had a, I did cross paths with the Reformed synagogue for a couple of years after I started becoming religious, started to learn Torah, and then realizing, well, I wanted to keep Shabbos and things they did not want to do. And I definitely enjoyed my time there orchestrating Rabbi Yokoff will be to come out and teach Torah to us every Sunday. And I really was just sort of facilitating every Sunday, having that class and helping my, my dear friends get exposure to real authentic Torah by a real scholar. But I know that there was a lot of other education that went on there. And I was asked to sit in on a class. I may mention this to you before, but it was, it was so sad because the whole philosophy of this class was... Let's learn from all religions because we all know that the Christians have their texts. We have our texts. Muslims have their texts. You know, the Scientologists have their texts. I don't know. Everyone has their texts. We don't know if our text is true. They don't know if their text is true. Let's just admit it. They're all made up. But let's see if we can learn from everyone's text. Okay. Premise, of course, being that the Torah was written by man did not come from our creator. Fine. So I went through one of these classes, the encouragement. I, I couldn't do it anymore. It was just like, it was so heartbreaking. The whole philosophy was, too, that the, the leader of this group, that our forefathers were just antiquated, primitive men. And then over time, mankind has become more sophisticated because we have cool gadgets now. You know, and like the total opposite of what Torah is teaching is that they were on the, the apex of mankind, Moshe, and at the time of Mount Sinai, and our forefathers, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yokov, and we've been on a consistent path down since that point in time. But that's what they believed. But here's what's fascinating. They and many Jews I know that are reformed, secular, conservative, whatever. They will just say the common denominator, they believed came from man. And therefore, that's why we don't have to follow the mitzvot because, of course, it was written by men. It's up to our prerogative to decide whether or not we do them or not, right? Okay, makes sense. But here's what's fascinating. I've never seen a larger population of Jews than secular Jews, Reformed Jews, whatever, that study Kabbalah. 
think about that. They were studying Kabbalah. I was seeing this all the time. A speaker showed who was a reform rabbi to talk about Kabbalah. People showed up. They love it. And if you think about this for a second, how would any human being ever be able to gather information and intel on other dimensions and the angelic creatures that live in those other dimensions and the energies, the sephiros that are the building blocks of creation. How would a human gather that intel? I don't recall anyone getting interdimension teleportation devices or anything like that. How would they gather that information if it did not come from the one who created space and time and all the worlds? But they did not believe that to be the case. They believed Tor did not come from God. And what do they think all this other information about Kabbalah was coming from? It didn't matter. Because here's what is happening. Everyone has an inherent desire to connect with their creator, with their source of everything. And we have a Yetzirah that really wants to deter us. It's its job from learning Torah and the truth of this world. I used to have this video saved by... Rabbi Kellerman on a rational approach to the Torah's divine origin. He used to always, you know, keep it saved on my phone. Whenever I was talking to a Jew who would ask, why do you become religious all of a sudden? I would say, because I learned the Torah is true. And I would send them this video and they would always tell me time and time again, I never could get around to watching it. I didn't have time. Now, we obviously know this is nonsense. I know these people. I know they watch the news every night. They don't miss a football game. They had time to watch a one-hour entertaining video on whether or not the Torah has a divine origin or not. But their Yetzirah would distract them. It did not want them to watch that video. It was full frontal force in its job description. Do not let this Jew watch this video because if they begin to contemplate the divinity of Torah and realize it is divine, then the war is over. Yes, battles ensue, but the war is over. The Yetzirah knows that. However, when a Jew wants to go study Sephiros and these Kabbalistic concepts, guess what? The Yetzirah says, go for it. Because what is a Jew accomplishing by learning these abstract things? Nothing. The Jew is not accomplishing anything. He doesn't accomplish anything until he starts keeping the mitzvot. That is what rectifies the world. That's what the Yetzirah is fighting against. But if a Jew just wants to go study some concepts, the Yetzirah is totally game for that because then the Jew can say, oh, well, I'm exploring something intellectual now and I don't need to do anything else. I can connect to my creator through these lofty concepts and go about my day. Now, Kabbalah can be extremely powerful with understanding the mitzvot and divine origin of Torah. Matter of fact, right now I'm studying Knowing God's Plan by Ram Chal, my dear friend, Ross Altman, but he brings the entire, as he builds out, you know, how God created the world, why he did that, well, he brings it all down to that our job is to fulfill mitzvot. So it's, it's a great framework for understanding and invigorating and, and getting us impassioned around fulfilling the mitzvot. The idea is this, why do Jews like those ideas? And it really comes down to one thing, is that when one knows that the Torah is of divine origin and they want to fulfill it, it means they have to make their creator's will their will. What the Yetzirah wants to convince Jews to do is to make their will God's will. They want to create God in their image. 
They want to have a relationship on their terms. And it's just not how we connect to our creator. The reason that Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yochov were called the chariots was because they removed their Yetzirah and were just fulfilling the will of Hashem. And I think this is the whole idea of how we actually actualize our potential and really begin to understand who we truly are. You know, you've often heard me use the word Yetzirah and ego interchangeably and because they are interchangeable terms, which means that this whole idea of our ego, our sense of identity, is nothing more than Yetzirah. It's falsehood. It's layers of identity we place in ourselves that are not truly who we are. And the Torah allows us to strip all that away, thus creating that vacuum through our nullification of the Yetzirah for Hashem to connect with us. This ego that we create, this false sense of identity that our Yetzirah really helps us build up, that becomes, becomes a barrier to us and our Creator. Really, the way I understand it is it comes about through our desire to fulfill several needs that Hashem gave us. One is to feel loved, respected, and secure. And the source of all those things is from Hashem. But when we don't know that, then what we do as we grow up is we begin to build scripts on how we can obtain those things, love, respect, financial security. We begin to build scripts on how we can get those from other people. And that's how we begin to layer on this entirely false identity. The idea behind being in the image of God is that we are like him. We mirror the way he acts towards us. He is nothing but in a source of giving. We are not supposed to be trying to extract love and respect from those around us. We are supposed to be giving it. Our source of those things then come from our creator. We don't lack them. We just have them in abundance from our creator so we can then turn around and give honor and love to those that we encounter. We know that our security, our sense of security for our material needs, they all come from our creator. So we don't have to develop scripts and personas that we think may help us do well in business or be perceived the right way by those of us that we transact business with or interact with in the business world. Those all become false personas, false scripts. But once we know that all that comes from Hashem, then we can begin to tear those away and get to our true essence. And who are we really? We are a creation. We are a Jew, a very special creation. And who we are is one, we are the gatekeepers that allow Hashem into the world. And we remove that barrier between Him and the world around us through learning Torah and doing the mitzvos, which is what empowers us to overcome our Yetzirah and make our Creator's will our will. But to get there, we have to have a fear of Hashem because we don't necessarily know the consequences of our actions. We are like a small child sitting in our parents' arms. We don't know. And that is why if we don't have a healthy level of fear of our Creator, we will not do what in the end is in our best interest. If we try to do what we think is the way the relationship should work, we want to build God in our image, you can see the fallacy in that. So my friends, I hope this episode was meaningful. I hope we can all take it and remember that 
Sometimes we need to just, at the base level, have that fear of being punished, that short term, being yelled at, because we know that in the end, that's keeping us from the real negative consequence that our loving father is trying to keep us from. Sometimes we want to step up to that next level of fear and just not want to disappoint him, to make him proud, to give him nachas, to do our best for him. But then when we get to that level, then we can begin pursuing the Torah study and the mitzvot out of just love, out of just love and gratitude and thanks to our creator. But all those things are needed and fear comes first. Trust our sages when they say we cannot love Hashem without first fearing him. Have a great day and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking donate in the top right corner of the page.